Welcome to episode 13 of the Anti-Reactive Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Hoppe, parent educator and counselor, mom of two, and lover of all things related to parenting. Before we dive into today's topic, I am handing out an anti-reactive parenting high five. Today's high five is for JD. JD is a parent I often see at the activities both our children are involved in. We chat regularly when we see each other, and he told me recently about a parenting fail that had happened that actually, as I pointed out to him, ended up being an impressive parenting win. Recently, while several parents were waiting around for their kids' practice to conclude, they got to chatting and got carried away in conversation. Practice finished, parents were still talking, so kids got to playing and doing what kids do. After quite a bit of time passed, parents rounded up the kids and took everyone home. Unfortunately, while parents were deep in conversation, kids not just played, but made a pretty big mess of things in the area. And nobody realized this until the coach texted later that evening with photographic evidence of the damage done. JD was rather mortified, and this is not the kind of behavior he would ever have permitted to happen if he had been paying better attention in the moment. JD immediately rounded up his kid and drove the two of them back to the practice location even though it was pretty late at this point, had his kid face his coach to apologize and then take responsibility for the mess he made by cleaning it up and making it right. JD also had to face the music, so to speak, and apologize for not paying better attention to what his kid was doing. It sounded like an uncomfortable experience for everyone involved, but man, what a lesson that was taught. His kid learned about taking personal responsibility making things right when an apology isn't enough to fix all of the damage that had been done. He faced modeling consequences himself and doing the right thing, even when it's the hard thing and even when it's the extremely inconvenient thing. I was impressed by the guts this parenting moment took. So high five JD for the anti-reactive lesson you taught your kid. I am really loving all of these stories of some really fantastic parenting. So if you have a story of an awesome anti-reactive parenting moment, please submit it for a chance to be featured on the anti-reactive parenting high five segment. And you can do this by going to our website, antireactive.com. Share some accolades and inspire our anti-reactive community. Okay, time to move into today's topic, avoiding shame. Oh, shame. That's a heavy-hitting word. If you look up the definition of shame, words and phrases come up like painful emotion, personal failure, guilt, shortcoming, exposure, worthlessness, inferior, and unworthy of affection or respect. Ouch. Just listening to this compilation of words can be painful. If you've ever heard of Brene Brown, then you know that she's made it her life's work to study and research shame, and she has written many books and given many talks on the topic, and I highly recommend checking out her work to learn more about shame. It is surprising how much shame is present in our lives and how much lives behind the veil of shame. Brene Brown has done some great eye-opening research and work on this emotion and experience, which is something I would think would be beneficial for just about everyone to know about and understand because we all live with it in some form or another. But what I want to focus on today is avoiding shame as it pertains to the family, to you as a parent, to your child, and as it lies and exists lurking between relationships within the family. What is your earliest memory of experiencing shame? 
I was thinking back through my childhood and trying to remember what my earliest memories were and what stood out to me from my childhood and how I felt about it all. I have all kinds of memories and flashes of silliness, happy and contented times, lots of good stuff, and I feel very fortunate for all of that. I had a good childhood with good parents, but the sharpest, clearest memories I have, the ones where I can still feel the raw emotions, almost as strong as the day I first felt them, are all the moments where I felt shame. More importantly, shame that was never resolved. I can still picture these moments, see the look on people's faces, feel the temperature of the room. I can remember the weather. It's just crazy. And as much as I tried, everything about these moments is forever seared into my memory. Now, shame is never truly avoidable. We've all experienced it. We all have vivid memories of it, and it's part of the human experience, unfortunately. But it's an awful thing to experience, and it can be so hard to get rid of. As adults, we have all gained more than enough familiarity with shame, so hopefully we have gained some manner of skill in dealing with, or at least coping with, this emotion. If you haven't, again, I cannot recommend Brene Brown as a resource enough. But when it comes to our kids, they don't have the skills to cope. And shame is a heavy thing. So it's up to us to, one, teach them how to cope, and two, even more importantly, ensure we are not inducing shame upon them unnecessarily. Let me tell you, opportunities for shame are everywhere. It is in our nature as human beings to screw up both intentionally and unintentionally pretty much daily. And in these modern times, it feels like there are eyes everywhere, which just multiplies the feelings of shame. And it's not just more eyes on us, it's us knowing way more and way too much about what everyone else is doing that can make us feel inferior or ashamed of what we're doing or what we're not doing or what we have or don't have or where we're going or not going. And I can go on an entire tangent about how we as adults feel and experience shame simply from social media alone and what that experience can be like when we put it into the hands of children. But I'll save that for another time. We're not there yet. And before we even go there at all, we need some foundational skills of how to deal with shame, which naturally occurs during the human experience. First of all, it's helpful to explain to kids what shame is. Kids experience this emotion early on, but it certainly doesn't look the same in every kid. Shame pops up once kids have a very basic understanding of right and wrong. When they know something is wrong and they do it anyway, the result is often shame. And shame is a very uncomfortable emotion. It's like wearing an itchy sweater. It makes you want to crawl out of your skin. And when you're uncomfortable within your body, it results in a physical reaction. When a young child experiences shame, they do weird stuff. My parents loved to tell the story of when I was a toddler and would do the forbidden act of pulling books off of a bookshelf and I'd start moving around in circles. It was a very odd behavior and something I only reserved for when I was feeling guilty. And once they cut on that that was my shame tell, they'd start walking around the house to find what I had done. Let me tell you, I've seen a lot of shame tells over the years. One child I know comes and tells their parents about something wrong that their sibling did, 
but is actually the byproduct of a bigger wrong thing they did themselves. Which inevitably and obviously means the tattling child gets found out. I've seen kids who hide in weird places when they feel shame. I've seen kids go on and on about how bad someone else is to make it seem like their shame is better because at least it's not as big as someone else's. Kids become so eager to shed that itchy shame sweater that they try all kinds of weird things to get it off and alleviate the discomfort. And as grown-ups, we all know, being weird doesn't make it better. All of the defense mechanisms, all of the excuses, all of the running around in circles does not make the shame go away. So what do we do? It begins with telling kids that what they're feeling and what they're experiencing has a name. And the name of that feeling is shame. You can't ask a kid how they're feeling if it's not something that they have the vocabulary for yet. All they know is it is a physically uncomfortable experience and it hurts and they want to get rid of it. So step one is telling them that it has a name and the name of the feeling is shame. Then explain what shame is. Define it for them. Shame is what we feel when we realize we've done something wrong. Even more importantly, it's a feeling everyone experiences at some point or another. It's not unique to them. They aren't magically worse than anyone who's lived before because they feel so bad about something. Literally everyone feels it at some point, and it's not fun. I remember the first time I ever explained to a child in the throes of shame that what they are feeling had a name, and everyone feels it sometimes, and it was like their mind exploded. I mean, literally the eyes bulged. It was like instant pain relief for this little person. And there is something incredibly powerful in telling a young child that other people have gone through what they're going through. When a child experiences a new emotion or a new experience, it's exactly that, new. So since it's their first time experiencing it, they don't automatically think about how someone else may have gone through it before too, or that it could even be normal. Because to them, it's completely newfangled and it's unpleasant. It never crosses their mind that this could be a common thing. Okay, great. So we've established what shame is and that it's awful and that we all experience it. So now what? We have to face shame because only in facing the shame can we make it go away, which again is awful. And it can be difficult to convince a child that this is the only way to make it better. If a child feels like they're in an itchy shame sweater, they will likely be doubtful that dragging that itchy material across their skin pulling it across their arms and then all over their face, cutting out the light and completely immersing their nose and mouth, ears and eyes in that terrible material, like that would be a good move. It probably would seem easier to just leave the sweater on and not go through all that nonsense. Talking about shame is probably the only more painful thing than experiencing shame itself, but it's the only way to shed it. It's the only way to make it shrink. Talking about shame makes it lose its power. Because shame is backed up by another emotion. Fear. Fear of what will happen when someone finds out. Fear of how much trouble we'll be in. Fear of what someone will think of us. And the mind is fantastic at conjuring up all of the what-if scenarios. But once shame is faced and talked about, the mind no longer has to wonder what if. Because it's done, 
and now we know. And it never has been as bad as we made it out to be, or at least not as awful as the anticipation of how bad it can be. Facing the shame and talking about it is not something a child can be expected to do on their own. They'll need your help, especially to get started. And it will require your child to be vulnerable. And what they'll need from you is patience, a listening ear, an open expression, and room for them to speak. You may be madder than you've ever been, but if you want to get to the root of an issue, the root of bad behavior, and get to the point where your child owns up to their mistakes, and even better, takes responsibility for their behaviors, you've got to help them face the shame of it all before they can ever get there. This is some long-term parenting stuff right here. I mean, eventually, we all want our future adults to grow into actual adults who are responsible and take responsibility for the consequences of their actions, both the good and the bad, but it's a long road of intentionality to get there. And it starts here, with addressing shame and learning how to cope with it, learning how to shrink it down so you can deal with the real issues at hand. Okay, so I think we've sufficiently covered how much shame sucks, because it does suck, and it can stay with you for a long time. Like I said, I still remember moments of shame from my childhood, and I guarantee you still do too. So this is where we come back to point number two. As anti-reactive parents, we need to ensure that we are not inducing shame upon our children unnecessarily. Again, I'm a parent. I get it. We've all been there when you have told your child the same thing over and over again, and they still don't get it, and then something bad happens. Maybe it's the jacket that gets left at school all of the time, and then you don't have it when you're going out on the weekend. Maybe it's the baseball mitt that gets thrown on the floor of mom's car, never gets put away, and then it's not there when dad drives the kids to practice in his car. Maybe it's the constant reminders that are ignored to do homework and pay attention in class, and then your kid comes home with a failing grade on a test. And these moments when you feel like you're beating your head against the wall and the same issues keep happening when you know your kid is capable of doing better, it can be easy to pull out shame and use it as a tool to change your kid's behavior. Because again, shame hurts. So whether consciously or subconsciously, parents use shame because they think the pain of shame is worse than the pain of changing their actions. So in order to avoid the shame, the idea is the kid will get on the right track and start doing the right thing. Which makes sense in a way, but shame is such a tricky beast, it doesn't actually work that way. Shame makes us want to run and hide or deflect, and it also loves to buddy up with the feeling of fear. So inflicting shame upon a child will never be the right long-term solution to actually teaching them anything. It doesn't create actual change. It just creates adjustments and compensations to circumvent dealing with the real issue. So it won't work. You may get some temporary results, but long-term, it does not develop functional adults. Like I said, shame is an unavoidable part of the human experience, but it certainly is something we don't need to introduce to our children unnecessarily because it does more harm and honestly really doesn't do any good. Even in the big, giant, one-time screw-ups, it doesn't just have to be the repeated ones. 
using shame in the event of a one-time gut-wrenching act of delinquency will get you nowhere. And this is for several reasons. Let me explain. Number one, your child already knows that what they did was wrong and they will naturally already feel shame whether they show it or not. And two, depending on your kid's personality, they will either beat themselves up over it and roll around in guilt until they are completely covered in it and make themselves feel absolutely terrible, more than you ever could, or they will do everything they can to deflect and avoid the agony of shame by blaming everyone or everything other than themselves, and shame will only cause them to dig in their heels more and avoid it. In either case, your child is not getting to the root of the actual problem. I'm not one to protect my child from the uncomfortable emotions that come as a natural consequence of living this human life. I believe it's important to feel guilt when we do something wrong, and I want my children to understand that there are consequences for their actions and guilt and shame are how our bodies tell us something is wrong. But I would never want to rub their noses in it. Because if all we are doing is dealing with shame, whether it's bathing in it or desperately trying to get away from it, we're not dealing with what actually happened and we learn nothing. Shame distracts us from what should be a learning opportunity, whether it's figuring out what supports need to be put into place to remember to do homework each night, or learning how to take responsibility and accountability for our actions by facing the natural consequences. So if we take shame off of the table, what tools can you use to raise quality future adults? First of all, I invite you to refer back to episode three, Choices Within Limits, and episode four, Natural Consequences, for some specific anti-reactive parenting strategies that are meaningful and will aid you in parenting for the long term. Secondly, I want to remind you and encourage you that parenting is not for the faint of heart. And to parent effectively, it takes a great deal of intentionality and effort. Quality parenting requires planning ahead. And most importantly, it requires establishing and living out your life through a defined set of values. Values that you run and filter your decisions and your interactions through. Establishing values requires big picture thinking, which helps pull you out of the moment, out of survival mode, and into a life of deliberate and purposeful parenting and quality relationships within your family. It's not easy, but most important things in life rarely are, but it's definitely worth it. Okay, thanks for tuning in, listeners. I'd like to invite you to join and help grow our community of anti-reactive parents. If you enjoy this podcast and think others would too, I humbly ask that you please leave a five-star review to impress the algorithms and help this podcast reach others, and then we can all grow together. Don't forget to follow our podcast and add it to your library so that you don't miss an episode. Also, for all of you fathers out there, don't miss the anti-reactive parenting companion podcast, Life Fatherhood. Life stands for Lead Your Family with Excellence. The short-form podcast for fathers is about how to deal with challenges raising your kids and increase your excellence as a father who leads intentionally. You can find Life Fatherhood, that's L-Y-F-E, on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you'd like to listen to podcasts. Until next time, parent intentionally, plan for what's to come, 
and be anti-reactive.